previously on Something Who. Welcome to the podcast where we take something old, a Doctor Who story from the original series, compare it with something new, one from the new series, and add something borrowed. Well, there's no sketch this time, but we've borrowed some facts off the info text to make <laughs> Something Who. Wow. Uh, yeah, hello, I'm Richard, and we're back with Something Who podcast, and we're going to discuss a couple of Doctor Who stories set in the middle of the second millennium. First, we'll have a look at Restoration Period Fifth Doctor Story, The Visitation, from Season 19. And after that, we'll go even further back in time for Tudor Era, Tenth Doctor Story, The Shakespeare Code. And that one is, of course, from Series 3. So after stretching the number of contributors on the last episode, we've got a pared-down panel this time. And uh, first up, it's Paul lately returned to the multimedia experience that is the Doctor Who Missing Episodes podcast. Oh, goodness, yeah. Yeah, yeah. also the acclaimed writer of many a Big Finish story. Hello, Paul. Hello. Yes. In particular, the, uh, the Big Finish story, The Prince of Denmark, which basically features Shakespeare and thus should be included in this discussion tonight. But I'm going to do my best <laughs> to rein Excellent. it in. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Also joining us is science and astronomy writer Giles. Evening all. Who, who last time we encountered him was in the early grip of COVID, as we were recording, but thankfully uh, recovered, as indeed is Paul. So, uh, good evening, Giles. Yes, evening. Yeah, happily, happily recovered, back in the land of the living. I've never really known the episode titles. That's, I mean, I should have done. I've had yeah. the opportunity to learn them ever because having the program guide from the, from 1981, yeah. that, that had a the, big effect on me. That, but I don't. I never. The one thing I never learned. I learned all the actors' names, and but I never learned the uh, st- episode titles. I think if I had grown up with a store with a with a program where the individual story titles were a thing, then I would probably be more into it. But because they were always just, you know, one to four or one to six, or whatever. And then yeah. you discover that that they'd come up with original with 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 um, titles for the episodes originally. It sort of felt like a bit extraneous somehow. And I think part because they so rarely have anything to do with these story. <laughs> that's why I don't remember yes. the ones that do. Like yeah. if it's Donald Cotton or something, then I remember it. But yes. all the Terror Nation ones, Escape to Danger and Journey yes. into Terror, and the They're ones quite, that hmm, quite generic, aren't they? I spent quite a lot of time on the Daleks Master Plan talking about the fact that some of the episodes, some of the titles seem to literally have nothing to do with the... Mm. We just could not work it out. Corona's the Sun, I think. We spent hours discussing whether or not they ever meant anything. Or if they'd mm. just think of a title and then first then write the episode. And if, if it turned out not to have any Coronas or Suns in it, don't bother changing the title. Just move yeah. on to the next one. Take the money and fly like a thief. <laughs> okay, are we ready to... to... Dive into the next one. Yeah, that's what that be. Yep. Okay, so next up we have The Shakespeare Code by Gareth Roberts, directed by Charles Palmer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I suppose my. Well, I mean, it, it, so this is the classic then of. I watched it once when it was originally broadcast, what, about 15 years ago? And. I've come back to it this time. I mean, at the time, I thought it was pretty bog standard. I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I thought it was all right. Coming back to it now, it, it seems... 
I mean, if, if, if the story is a little bit slight, the joie de vivre with which it's executed seems very appealing to me and, and, and quite impressive. So, so yeah, I think, yep. I, I think I enjoyed it more take two than I did first time. And how many times have we said that about new series stories? Indeed. I think it probably says much more about us than it does about the program <laughs> yeah, yeah. itself. Yeah. Yeah. Slight, yes. I mean, yeah. I was exercised terribly in that era by trying to work out what the best structure is, but the best way to approach a 50-minute story because it's a, year after year after year I could not get my head around the fact that the, the Doctor was only half as long as it used to be. <laughs> and I didn't want Black Orchid and the Sontaran <laughs> experiment every week. I wanted the proper stuff. Yeah. And yet now I realise that by and large, with a few exceptions, they really did nail the formats of how to take a lot of the best stuff about a four-butt Doctor story and, and throw away the chaff hmm. and give us just pure concentrated entertainment on our screens week after week. We've never had it so good. Hmm. Yes, I, I wouldn't say it was... A, again, I'm coming back to it, having not watched it for a good long time. Maybe I have watched it a couple of times since broadcast. But yeah, no, I wouldn't say it was an absolute revelation of... Oh my god! This is a complete undiscovered masterpiece that I oh yeah yeah that I'd forgotten about. But it's it's still it's it's very good. It's perf- it's very proficient. It's not quite like Tooth and Claw where I where when we did that yeah I kind of came back to it and thought bloody hell this is this is fantastic. Why you know why did this ever slip off my radar? But it's still still it's also for me it's often the the Moffat ones that I tend to have overlooked more mm. at the time. So. Mm. I was enjoying the Russell mm. stuff enormously. Yes, at yeah. At this point, it's just it feels like this is solid mid-tier, but it's still a quality, quality yeah. product for me. Very good. I'm probably still my favourite series of new Doctor Who. I think mm. personally. Yeah, and I suppose I mean that in the new format, the historicals are all about let's let's find a a character from history and then mm. go into their world. Rather than the old version, I suppose, which was more like let's find a historical scenario, you know. So, so I guess you know the one we've just talked about. Mm. It's the Great Fire of London. That's the thing that we, that it's all around. But but, it, but we're not we're not going to King Charles II or anything like that. We we we're, we're just going to that setting. But this is very definitely all about Shakespeare. Mm. Is it fair to say that the main um, starting point for the, the historicals in the new series is? to show us to make the past seem very modern both sometimes it's yeah. done for comedy mm. <laughs> both here and there and in Pompeii there are lots of throwaway jokes where we draw parallels in fact I'm reminded of Upstart Crow the um, yes. mm, yeah, sitcom indeed. where half, the, half the humour comes from Shakespeare talking about his his coach journey as though mm. he's a, commute board, a commuter moaning about British rail mm-hmm. but um, yeah I mean there's plenty of that here but at the same time it's a way of making the characters come alive. I think it would have seemed extremely important and necessary to Russell to not make it stuffy. Mm. If you write the characters as though they are 500 years old, mm. then the, he would have see, uh, thought the whole thing was going to be dead in the water because the actor would then play it very dry and stuffy mm. and you're all, you'd lose your audience's attention. So they, go, they really pushed the idea that these people, and um, particularly the stars, the celebrities in the mm. celebrity historians, are people, well... 
I'm about to contradict myself. I was going to say people at a time, but they are people who are exceptional for their time, and mm. in that that's the way in which they will strike us as modern people. Mm. Yeah. And here we get a, in a sense, they do it with Dickens, in a sense with Agatha Christie, but really here is possibly the most one of the most extreme examples because it, yeah, because Dickens, I was going, I was just about to come back to you and, and say, well, Dickens, they don't, they don't quite have to, and I don't think they'd have gotten away with it because he's he's close enough to. They don't have to modernise him that much, hmm. and I don't think. I sort of drifted from one thought into another. I know she was Simon Cowell, the Christie. Yes, what I meant was yeah, not that but... we can't believe that she's like a like us because, mm. <laughs> of course, that's very recent. But you, I meant. But no, I, I I know what you mean, and certainly it feels like this one. They they do push it. It's it's getting back into oldie worldy times. I think far enough back that you do start to lose that connection. So you can, yeah, you can play fast and loose with it a bit more. Yes. It, it's a combination of things, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you've got Shakespeare. He's, he's not taken in by the psychic paper. He, As you say, he, he sort of spots that the Doctor and Martha are from out of time. The, he's not really impressed by the whole Fredonia idea. Although, I mean, let's face it, I mean, how stupid are people? Mm. I mean, if they haven't heard of a country, it probably doesn't exist. <laughs> but on the other hand... You know his, his his plays aren't that brilliant in in this version of it. He's not, you know, and, and his his wit isn't that sparkling. He's he turns out to be quite earthy. So yeah, it's an interesting combination. He's, as you say, distinctive, but maybe not the revered character of Shakespeare from you know that we think of when when we study at, at school. No, well, I mean, it's not that revolutionary an idea to present Shakespeare as just a working. A working man rather than a tortured yes. artist. We all know that mm. that's, I think, don't we? Even yeah. casual, mm. we can obviously say fans, but <laughs> I think pretty much everybody knows that he was churning this stuff out. We've all heard the cliche that he, if he was alive now, be writing soap operas. Yeah. But of course, neither extreme is true. He's not just a hack, but he's not a tortured artiste. But it, but if you look at the journey of his career, it is of somebody who discovers the possibilities of this medium mm. and starts to put more and more of himself into his work as mm. time goes on mm. and this is 15 um, this is late 1590s isn't it so it's, yeah so he's got quite a quite a way to go yeah in terms of I, I, i'm not up on my chronology but clearly he's got another 10 years or more ahead of him when did he retire About 15 oh, 12 or so well so there's at least, at least another decade of big... I think he's at the yes. peak of his most critically acclaimed work, the stuff that's lasted to the test of time. Mm. There's plenty more good stuff to come, but it eventually becomes a bit more esoteric. So, yes, where was I going with that? <laughs> it's not that revolutionary to show as just a man who works in a theatre and needs to make sure... It's like the Terence Dix of his day needs him to make sure that, the test card, that he has something to show instead of the test card. Mm. Yeah. But... They also do what I people said at the time that you presented as kind of rock star Shakespeare, didn't they? Which is, mm. you could say, is stretching it a bit, but it's all perfectly valid. They just really, really, really don't want stuffy old bald yeah. Shakespeare with his these and thous. They want, they want hero Shakespeare. Mm. Mm. Well, and of course, the um, the the path has been laid for this. It's definitely influenced by Shakespeare in Love, isn't it? <laughs> and that's right yeah so that was 98 i believe or 99 right so 
but you definitely um, yeah that's let's that's what Shakespeare, all the character Shakespeare's a bit of a hunk and um, yeah mm. that's definitely contributed a lot to the character and where uh, and the, the tone I was astonished I was just thinking to myself where does this sit in relation to Upstart Crone I was astonished to find mm. out that was about ten years later yeah. I didn't realize mm. quite how well almost quite how uh, how recent that was there's mm. there's a couple of characters in there that you just think well with with um the guy playing Kemp. You think mm. of the guy. Yes. <laughs> you yes. just kind of <laughs> yep. think, why aren't you doing your Ricky Gervais edgy? You know, like, and the uh, and uh, and the the, master... the Lord Chamberlain. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. You just want Mark Heap. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very definitely. That's played very close to that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's written by Shakespeare buffs who are looking for ways to cr- uh, to get proper. Intellectual, uh, academic in jokes in there without losing the audience. So that's why it's um, mm. that's why it's based around a famous lost play, which is an yes. idea that if you know the audience doesn't have to have heard of Love Slavers One to get the idea that it's a play that there's a mystery around why it doesn't exist anymore. So that sets yeah. it up nicely for where yeah. we're going. Much better than the great mystery of how could a fire possibly have started? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's all—it's also got that kind of missing episode mystique, but it's running through it as well. I mean, it, mm. even to the extent that that Martha wants to record the dialogue. So, so I mean, sorry, oh, second yes. second second mention of Graham Strong in in, in a single episode of, <laughs> of something who, but but you know, she's 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 wanting to 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 have some off air uh, off air mm. dialogue of the, of the store of the um, of the play. Mm. Depending who you believe. The- in real life, Shakespeare was writing things like, like, much ado about nothing. Henry V, Julius Caesar, okay. and maybe so at, at this point, and may, you know he may even have written Hamlet as early as 1599, but it's mm. definitely within the next couple of years. Yeah. Love's Labour's yeah. Lost was about five years earlier than this, right? Okay. But doesn't matter. Mm. Is it? <laughs> amuse me to see to see. <laughs> That actually happened. Some cat, real characters from Love Slavers Lost pop on. I did a Shakespeare a pantomime version of it with the Canterbury Shakespeare Festival last Christmas. It's not a play that people go back to if they didn't have to. <laughs> we decided that if you cut it down to about an hour, you can just about get away with it. Mm. Right. Oh. I don't think I've ever seen it. And it's not a hundred percent certain that that's what that it does actually end on a cliffhanger. It uh, mm. it's an odd ending. But a lot of Shakespeare's pl- later plays have odd endings. Mm. I suppose the fact that it isn't a late play, <laughs> it may mm. be the clue that. But there's there's a single reference to Love's Labour's One in mm. a in a surviving document, but it doesn't prove that there was a play with that title. Um, mm. There are various theories. Some people think it might be an alternative title for a, another play that does exist. Mm. We yeah. just yeah. we just don't know. Mm. There's a lot of um, uncertainty about the titles. Yeah. A lot mm. of it wasn't standardised until. They were folio, folioized, but I like this explanation. Mm, it's mm. disappeared up a wormhole. So, alongside all the Shakespeare jokes, we get witches. Yeah, I was just going to say the other um, facetious comment with regard to influences and title and so on is obviously Shakespeare Code. There's a bit of a nod to the Da Vinci Code in there, isn't there? Which was was this around the time the movie came out? So Proper. that had been huge for mm. huge for a long time already, hadn't it? So mm. there's a question. What is, oh, that a is that a reference to the? Well, that's the thing. I don't really know what the code. Them, the the sequence of letters and numbers that summons the Carrionites from 
I suppose They're so. rather than the dawn of time. Yeah. Mm. Is it? Mm. Mm. I guess I can only assume. Well, it's going to be it's going to be called something else, isn't it? And then they decide not to call it that, and they call. Is, am I not, am I right there? Well, it's going to be called Love's Labour's One, wasn't it? That was that was that was going to be the title for it. Oh right, okay. And they and they came up with um, the Shakespeare Code later on. Mm. It's a sluttier title, isn't it? Mm. That's not me. That's what Moffat used to call them. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I'm a nice boy. <laughs> but I agree. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't quite work. But it's all right. I mean, you know, does it? Does that matter? Not really. What did you want to say about witches, then, Paul? <laughs> I think this is probably what Doctor Who should be doing: giving us, giving us proper monsters rather yeah. than trying to be clever. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? It's a little bit like what we said about the demons in that they're trying to get it both ways, which is that they're they're witches and they're not witches. Mm. So we've got a whole bunch of stuff that they do that is very witchy, but, you know, it's not a voodoo doll, it's a DNA replicator or something. It, it, oh, yes. It's not entirely clear how they jump on broomsticks and, and fly through the air, but that's some kind of psychic energy or something, I don't know. But, but yeah, I, I, and, and then, you know, the Doctor says something like, well, you know, if we're, if we're not careful in this day and age, somebody's going to panic and think it's witchcraft... And and then he says, which it kind of is, but then we're given a a, a sort of semi plausible scientific explanation for they're doing stuff. That I isn't think it only craft. gets away with it because they go all out and make yeah. them look like absolute cart- ludicrous cartoon witches. Because mm. otherwise, you could get into a slightly dodgy area. I mean, yeah, the more recent witch finder story had yeah. to take its subject matter a bit more seriously and didn't, in fact, didn't use witches as villains at all did it no it it tried to use them as a an extra bit of drama alongside yeah yeah you get away with it by leaning into the leaning into the stereotype Mm. and yeah having them flying around and it's not going to be treating it as a serious topic yeah you don't undercut it or debunk it you just Mm. have some fun with it but make it perfectly clear that it's got nothing to do with uh the real world Mm. There's a lot of nominative determinism in the universe, I think, you know, so therefore the carrier knights have to be sort of, you know, feeding on the, I don't know, the, the half dead people or something. I don't know. It, 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 yeah. It's I mean, clear, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Doom, yes. doom finger. Dream oh. mm, um. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. Uh. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, not a big fan of the name. I think I might prefer something a bit less prosaic. What are they called? The things called in school reunion. Yeah, that's what I was trying to remember. Crillitanes, aren't they? Crillitanes. Oh, yeah. Okay, I was th- <laughs> thinking it was too similar, but it's not that similar. Mm-hmm. But it feels like, and then the ones on the Saturnine, because that's what this reminds me of. Is the um, is the all the vampires in Venice? one as well. Oh yes, yes. And that of course, as we said, that does go down the um, magic aliens route, doesn't it? Of, mm. of like adding, think... adding one too many yeah. layers of yeah. 
they're vampires, they're fish, alien things. Yep, exactly. I think what I like about this is it doesn't, it keeps it simple. It doesn't, it doesn't try to explain, not that that this is my least favourite trope, but it doesn't try to explain this is where witches come from. This is like, it's not Azal creating our legends of the devil. Mm. This isn't where humanity got the idea for ugly old crone witches. Yeah, which would be a difficult (laughs) thing to pull off. But thankfully, they don't go that way. And it also doesn't. The reverse is, is also true. They're not. They don't look that way for any particular reason. They haven't taken on this form. Have they? Have they? T- hang on a minute. Well, <laughs> maybe I wasn't listening carefully enough. No, I don't Are they? Think so. They haven't. They haven't taken this form to to insinuate themselves into society. They're not modelling themselves anything in particular for any no. for any surreptitious reason. Are they? They just happen to look like that because yeah. it'll be fun to watch for fifty minutes. But then. The the main one, but then they don't look like that when they come through from the dawn of time. Have I, yeah. I think I've missed something. Go on, then. Well, no, I mean the, 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 the main the main character who you know bewitches Shakespeare. She doesn't she change form at some point? Yes. Or did I did I imagine that? Yes. Well, she seems to look. Yeah, she she looks cute, like, like yes. Christina Cole a lot of the time, and then she then she yeah. can then she can get a bit of a Star Trek. Star Trek yeah. nose and forehead makeup job. Yeah. I thought I was shots. paying attention, but how come these creatures can look have three distinct forms: human, cartoon witchy, and strange CGI creatures from the dawn of time? Oh, I see. Yeah, I can't remember what the um what do the what do the ones that come through the. Well, they they just look slightly more abstract and less like. I just gave that as a, it, I, I assumed they were the same. I just gave that the pass as being all the one, all the one, swirliness they occasionally of them coming. Zoom up them. close to the camera in the yes. way that the creatures used to do in the era of Doctor Who. Right. Yes, and gurn at it and then fly off again. And they mm. don't look like they're supposed to be CGI representations of the I prosthetic see. witches. Mm. Okay. They're a bit more. They're right. another generate gener- another step removed from human mm. form. Okay. But well, think- we. Yeah. Somebody will no doubt tell us that we that was the most important part of the plot. And yes. I've got to give what? back my fan card again. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember there being any one of those good. explanations, which I, I and I agree with you. I think that's a good thing. Hmm. And if someone wants to tell us whether oh, there is one in, in there, then I think slightly <laughs> slightly less of the story because of it. What do you think of Martha here? Yeah. I- I, I liked her more than I think I did at the time. Was I being as much of a twerp as the Tenth Doctor here, <laughs> and just thinking that she wasn't Rose? I don't know, but yeah, I mean, basically, on on reflection, she she she, I think she plays it well, and you believe in the fact that she's feeling pretty brassed off most of the time because he's he is a prize prat. Mm. I was slightly annoyed by all that stuff at the time. But, um, this time, it seems clearer to me that that scene is supposed to be funny. Mm. Yeah. But it's still also what, slightly What, the man annoying. spreading on the bed? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. It's Yeah, in, in this story, it's fine. There's not a lot of it, and it mm. doesn't outstay its welcome. It's the fact that I know that, I know that it gets carried forward far too long throughout this series and yeah. ultimately left a bit of a bad taste in the mouth. Yeah, there's also some some quite broad humour in this. At one point, you know, like like Shakespeare talks about sweet Dolly Bailey. She had such enormous <laughs> spirit, and you just you think you know, this this is uh, unusual for Doctor Who. Well, maybe not unusual for Doctor Who in the Moffat era, of course. But it's quite raunchy. That 
the uh, whoever she is is she the landlady yeah makes yes. it perfectly clear what yeah, what designs yeah. she has on shakespeare when when she can get him alone yes yeah, yeah. and you get the chat up at the start of course with earth and, yes uh, yes would you enter sir <laughs> and all that yes well hey tonight's the night yeah who's that guy by the way he looked very familiar to me don't know didn't didn't recognize him yeah he looked totally familiar to me but i'm just mm. trying yeah and of course the 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 um the master of rebels as well is also you know a hypocrite because he's sort of talking about a brazen hussy or something and then you know he, he actually wants to um uh, Come back later on too. So it's mm. yes, it's all it's all bubbling under the surface. You know, satire. Yeah. <laughs> nice use of the globe. It, yeah. Yes. Cle- yeah. 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 Obvious, but still clever way to make your program look a lot more expensive. Mm. That is. I think I remember walking over there oh. and hanging around outside when they were filming. Or, oh, right. At least, oh, right. Walk, well, at least walking past. I don't mm. think I was aware they were filming, and I don't think there was any. Obvious signs it was going to be worth hanging around until midnight or whatever. I think they were doing they well, they did a night shoot, didn't they? So, or several. Anyway, the whole, the whole thing certainly satiates my, my desire to see more <laughs> for the missing final episode of the Visitation, which shows a bit more of London. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, we get uh, you know we we get the great architect of of the globe, but it turns out not to be Croagnon. No, uh, no. It's- Superhands. It's Superhands. Yes. <laughs> Good grief. Don't see anywhere near enough of him on TV, do we? Mm. Or indeed anywhere. And then we've got we've got the 14 sides of the globe and the 14 stars where the Karenites come from. Mm. Um, apparently it all means something. Yes, I wasn't aware that... Is, is, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can take or leave that. I wasn't aware there was any great debate over why the globe has 14 sides. Is there a great debate over that, Giles, or is that just something that... Not that I'm... Russell uh, or Gareth picks up on and thought, why not? It's funny you mentioned that. Uh, I was going down a different route of having made a tit of myself on a previous podcast. But um, I do remember there's a book called The Wooden O, and there was a friend of mine read it sometime in the 90s. I remember him wave it under my nose and saying this is really fascinating it must have been about the time they were building rebuilding the globe and like there being sacred geometry stuff built into it right i never read it myself and i can't remember what the what the theory was Hmm. but yes there was definitely some kind of theory and then yeah the thing where i made a tit of myself uh, a few episodes back whenever it was was saying about the Archangel network, whether it connects into this, because mm. when you get, but then that's fifteen satellites, isn't it, around the Earth when they, Martha doing a year of hell and mm. yes. walking around the planet and so. On. But nevertheless, watching this again, I still think okay, there's, there's possibly a bit of foreshadowing of the, the basic idea of you know that you're, yeah, you have some magnification of the power of a word kind of thing going on mm. which is it, at least if nothing else it picks up in it thematically in uh yeah last of the time lords perhaps so but it's not a direct lift and on the other hand it's not directly mentioned in in the finale mm. either 
it's just one of those things considering how much of season three series three has has got hints and little pickups in most episodes that end up relating to to the end of it to the end yeah to the finale mm. yeah I've always thought maybe this now I've just read too much into it <laughs> <laughs> not like a Doctor Who fan at all I also like the uh, there's a line from Donna she she starts uh, sorry Donna Martha, Martha starts talking to um, Shakespeare with her these and theirs and whatever and uh, and it's the same idea as Donna ah, speaking yes. Roman in Fires of Pompeii, but yeah, I, I, I remembered that one. That. I didn't. I didn't remember the Martha one, mm. so I don't but know quite why. I think his line "Don't don't do that" is the same as comes from Tooth and Claw, doesn't it? With Rose doing a Scottish okay. yes, accent. Yeah. Okay, right. Mm. So it's, it's it's all three of them then, in, in <laughs> one after another. Yeah, mm. it's a running gag. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one of a slightly extraordinary tenant moments that um, brings some people out in the hives. Doesn't bother me when he. You just think he's reached the peak of overacting mm. during the the scene where his heart gets restarted. Oh, yes. But then he tops it all off with shouting "bada bing, bada boom." I think. <laughs> but, is that what it was? I don't. Where does that come from? Is that in the script? It's all very reminiscent of his ghost Scooby Doo impressions and mm. so on. Mm. Well, it's nice to see somebody enjoying themselves, isn't it? I kind of feeling that he was asked to do an awful lot of um, daft stuff and just sort of got on with it. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't blame Tennant all that much. He doesn't strike me as the sort of bloke who would start throwing Alonzi into the dialogue willy nilly, uh, unless somebody had, or, had planted it there already. Mm. No. And um, we do get a nice little another attempt at the Pyramids of Mars dilemma oh, conversation, yeah. don't we? With, um... Well, yeah. Have we? We've had that before with Rose, haven't we? Have we? <sighs> I can't remember whether. Or is this, this isn't the first time it's mentioned in New Who, is it? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, because the, I'm wondering. Because we the doctor does elsewhere say. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I we get. It. Starting, I'm sure I hate, we get. I hate it. starting over again because he has to re-explain a point to Martha that he must have already told Rose mm. two series ago. I can't remember which what it is where he mm. where he points out himself that he's this is part of his stock um, introductory kit of. I can't remember. It would time be time travel basics. Presumably, it would be in it would be in the Unquiet Dead. If it comes mm. up, do they have a discussion about what happens if the Gulf take over Victorian London? It's so long since I've seen that. Good question. Mm. Right in, everybody. <laughs> 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 but yes, we get Back to the Future, and they come and yeah, and they mentioned the yeah, and they mentioned the novelisation, which is weird. Mm. That's I laughed out loud at that one this time. Yes, that just must just be a joke for us. Yes. Because who other than Doctor Who fans uses the word novelisation? <laughs> well, it's funny, but the, there's a whole thing about the the novelisation of of Back to the Future, which right. you're probably you're. I'm a. I'm going to assume that's a whole other level of weirdness, and you're not right. You're not Go aware on. of it, and I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm actually looking at the the Tumblr now, trying to work out when he started it. But a guy called Ryan North who has become more famous since then. He's a Canadian comics writer and wrote The um, the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Oh, yeah. Amongst other things. But he he did a blog that turned into a little book where he just basically went through the novelisation of the film Back to the Future and just read it with incredulity because it is a remarkably 
<laughs> remarkably badly written novelization. <laughs> and that became a little cult thing all in itself. Yes, Ryan reviews the insane novelization of the main major motion picture published before the movie was released. And it is a it is an odd thing, but yes. Worth tra- mm. worth tracking down anyway. Anyone who fancies yeah. Either the novelization or the or the book that reviews the novelization. I've I have to say, I mean it's apropos of nothing, but I I've watched Back to the Future on several occasions. I've never seen Back to the Future Part Two or Part Three. <gasps> It's not deliberate. I mean, it's not like I've, I've avoided them. It just has never come to pass. Well, you know, Blimey. opinions differ. There are people who say that you don't need to see them because they didn't add anything to the first one. And then mm. there are people who are right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, if it's you pleasure. like Back to the Future, then watch the others and you'll get more of what you like. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And pleasure. the second one, yeah. although it's the, kind of the odd one out and is a bit of an oddity has more interesting th- things to say about time travel. And I'm particularly, if you like um, things like that episode of Star Trek where they go, where the modern crew go back and hide in the background of a Kirk story. Um, right. Mm. That's, I think, Back to the Future 2 might be one of the first places that that's done mm. with any degree of technical proficiency. But it's also very playful. I like it. Yeah. Mm. Yes, in my head, unfortunately, that conversation about Back to the Future immediately carried on with, um, with Martha saying, what about Back to the Future 2? Is it like, does that... <laughs> Is that real? And they were, and uh, yeah, in my head, the doctor explained all the complicated mechanics of the way time travel works in Doctor Who mm, via, right. yeah. But I mean, this is a very common trope nowadays. Remind Avengers Endgame, where they discuss what time travel is and isn't. Mm. The most efficient way to get that across in a modern screenplay is by referencing other old, yes, other franchises yeah. and saying whether it is or isn't like that. Mm. It's quite nice, but I, 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 I'm always intrigued by when people. So you're doing so and travel wrong because it doesn't work like their particular flavour yeah. works in a movie because the Marvel the Marvel movies decided to go down their own route with it as well and that seemed to raise some hackles at the time. I've become quite insufferable some of the Marvel fans who've, who've soaked up everything that Avengers Endgame and in particular Loki, mm. the series, have ah. told us about time travel and right. now they're quoting it across the internet at anybody who who gets <laughs> gets in their way. Mm. About oh, oh, dear. Never mind. I haven't got never around mind. to watching Loki yet. Because the reason why nobody else ever quotes Doctor Who as an example of how time travel works is because it's not cons- remotely consistent, is no, it? No, no. Time- no Doctor Who is not a program about time travel. It's mm, a program no. where time travel is used as a device to give us a different setting every week. Mm. Yeah. I was just considering it would be interesting if, for instance, Back to the Future is now clearly a fictional construct within the universe of Doctor Who it would be nice if Doctor Who is also a fictional construct within the universe of Back to the Future, that would be nicely recursive wouldn't it? Well, you know, Mm. the multiverse is here now, which means all these things are true, they're not just possible, once upon a time all things were possible now now all things are true they're all happening somewhere Mm. Yeah, that boggles the mind (laughs) that's not even recursive realities that's... uh, just think there's a universe where Boris Johnson's Prime Minister (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's just a horrible thought. So <laughs> we've got, we've also got this situation where the seventh Harry Potter book has is yet to be published oh, uh, yes. when this comes out, mm. and J.K. Rowling is still you know a hero. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I could, don't get into all the ins and outs of this. Well, I was say, <laughs> it's an odd coincidence. That's yeah, it's, uh... yeah, yes, and. Uh... Freeman slightly mucks up the pronunciation of Expelliarmus 
which makes it slightly incomprehensible until Doctor Who repeats it and says it properly. Right. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's no worse than Janet Fielding's pronunciation of Mara in the, in the <laughs> visitation. <laughs> Did people... Yeah, no, this must be before the... No, hang on. Were the positive movies coming out by this point? Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Oh, right, okay. Yes, from, from about 2002 onwards, I think. Oh, okay, right. So, um, so, yes, but the books So were... there was a canonical pronunciation... Well, yes, I guess so. Well, I, I don't know. I don't want to say anything critical because it's hardly an important point. But um, that gag is predicated on the fact that Shakespeare is extemporising in blank verse. Mm. Well, sorry, no, not blank verse. In iambic pentameter. And mm. he needs a word at the end with that number of syllables. Mm. And expelliarmus, which is a very complicated word, happens to fit. That's the punchline. Yes. But it doesn't just need that number of syllables. It needs to have the, the stress in the right places, and it doesn't really. So it's not as tight. I'm yeah. being extremely picky, but it's not as tight a joke as it would be if the um, if the stresses were correct. It's probably what throws prima. But it's also cod Latin, and I suppose it would probably have that pronunciation if it were a Latin word. So I suppose, it, yes, there is a canonical pronunciation in that regard. Except, of course, we have no idea what the Romans sounded like when they said stuff. So we only know because because other stuff rhymes with other stuff, don't we? Yes, indeed. So they're probably both right as a result. Mm. Well, despite having done Latin at school, I've been, to my embarrassment, only learning about Cicero recently. Right. And hard, se- <laughs> hard season. Of yeah. course. Hard season Roman Latin versus... Calculus. Medieval Latin. Ah, you see, I, I've as Calculus. Testing we are. As I think we discussed, I never went near Calculus, so. Uh, mm. Oh no. I didn't touch him. <laughs> no. So. What about Grumio, who was the cockwus? Grumio, hang on. <laughs> oh, I think Grumio was the cockwus, the cook. Uh, oh. Oh no, okay. sorry. He, he was Calculus's cockwus, so of course you right. you didn't right, do no, okay, that no, entire. No. Uh, Lurkio, right. Lurkio, now we're talking. <laughs> Well, yeah, less, for me less, it was yeah. Eke Romani, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who'd have thought there were three different ways of teaching Latin? Yes, that was the, the approach to Latin, apparently. Right. I seem to remember. Have we got anything more to say about this? Is there, do, we, do we have a, 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 a grand way in which we summarise this? Is there any, any more aspects that we want to chew over? Are we happy with our... I recently came across the, the, the gag with Elizabeth at the end. I recently came across a little... I know two minute video on YouTube. A fan had edited together all the references to Elizabeth. All right. In chronological order. Mm-hmm. I forget which order it is. Mm-hmm. Is it Doctor Who order? Anyway, in the in the order, which is the most satisfying and amusing way to see all the different places that uh, see right. how they they all actually tie together. Astonishingly enough, it's, mm. it's, it turns out to be one of the tightest bits of continuity in the whole run of Doctor <laughs> Who, and yet, and yet it's just. A throwaway okay. joke. But it works yeah. really nicely. I would track mm. it down. But it doesn't tie in with Shakespeare in the chase. So, mm. that's life. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> does it, well, does yeah. it tie in with your big finish? No, or I was thinking about that. I can't, I can't even remember how, I'm, how I write Shakespeare. Mm. It's all about Shakespeare, in inverted commas, mm. but it's not... He's only a minor character. It's, right. it's, um, so, I didn't really go to town on his character. It doesn't contradict this, but it's not... It's about the monk... Right. Go out and buy it. Yes. Yeah. Actually, do go out and buy it. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yes. It'll, it'll add another layer of <laughs> of interest to this particular era. And on that note, so connections, I guess. 
Oh. Why did we pick the, yeah. why did why why did we suggest these There's, two? Is it just There are jettied buildings in both of them. <laughs> Is it just the general general half timbered feel to the um <laughs> yes. Never mind the half masks, it's mm. half timbers yeah. where it's at. Well so so I mean here's my pitiful attempt to marry these two together. Marry so so so, so as you say, I mean it, I mean it, it it it's it's somewhat similar period, although actually not that similar when it comes down to it, you know, Elizabethan compared with Restoration. But there we go. There's there's three <laughs> aliens in each story. Is there? There's the the three pteroleptals and the three. Well, uh, there's probably more than that, but there's three pteroleptals and three uh, crones until there's a whole lot more. And you've got, as we described before, there's a sort of like you know, there's there's a there's a historical scenario in each. You know, so you've got the 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 play at the Globe Theatre in the one, and you've got the Great Fire of London in the other. So, so we're sort of we're going into into a, a a real event in history, kind of. Although actually, it then becomes a bit more celebrity in in this one than it than it, than it is in the Visitation. There's mind control in each of them, uh, but it's a sort of minor part of the plot. And you get arrows being fired at people, but that is very, very, very tenuous. <laughs> what, else, what else have you got? Uh, well, witchcraft comes up in both. Yeah, you've got witches in one, and, and the crew gets there's there's at least discussion of warlocks in um, in the visitation, isn't there? There's certainly. Uh, mm -hmm. That was the only one that occurred to me that um, I think wasn't on your list. Bit of a non sequitur, but does anyone know? I gather some people get very exercised about the about the lines at the start with Martha and about about like is she okay because she's black in Elizabethan London right. and and doctor, the doctor kind of hand waving it away. Now is, right. is, is, it, is it because and is it because it's a yeah well you've got white privilege so yes of course you can you can swan around the past. Acting that you own the place, thing, yeah. or is it, or is it a historical? Because I, th I think, I remember people getting very exercised about it before, or just make, making, making irritated references to it, well before BLM and you know before you know, in in earlier and possibly less sensitive times. I'm so, sure people could be an all sort people could be annoyed about it from all sorts of angles, mm, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah. If you. I guess so. I was just wondering what particular. Whereas mm. the truth probably is that there's only so much you can do in fifty minutes, and mm. you probably don't need to touch on it, the harsh realities, mm. every time it pops up. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me, I guess, of something my dad said to me, which was, you know, when he went to to watch cricket at Headingley. He had a suit and tie on, and he just sort of wandered over to the members' area and got in there because basically he looked like a bloke who would be a, a member of the Yorkshire County Cricket Club. So, so I guess on the one hand, you can sort of say yes, if if you act like you belong, then people don't question it. But on the other hand, if you look like you know a northerner who probably would be a member of, of Yorkshire Cricket Club, it's a lot easier to do that than if you didn't. So yeah, I, I guess both views are are valid. Um, there's, there's certainly that thing that black faces are sort of more common in history than we imagine. But he... yeah, I mean, I thought it was going to make a. I thought 
that's what the doctor is going to say and then he just goes on a series of jokes jokey comparisons to between elizabethan yeah. era and the modern world mm. i thought there were going to be a few lines but we get that later on don't we in um the gatus thing uh, I can't remember which stories it is now. Well, there's 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 the one that's in that there's the ice warrior thing that on the on Mars is it? But that oh true and um, the frost fair. I can barely remember what that was all oh, about. Oh yes, now. that one as well. Oh, anyway, yes. thin ice. I think it's justifiable to do it in a jokey way mm. here, as long as you're not uh, actually denying the problematic side of it. Mm. Mm not choosing to fixate upon it isn't the same. I think there's a brief acknowledgement and then it moves on, and that's mm. not the same as denying <laughs> that it, the past was not always yeah. Yeah. what we would have hoped it would be. Yeah, and I guess also from a real-world production point of view, there's also the knowledge that they're going to be at least touching on this again in human nature before yeah. before too long. You know, yeah. We're yeah, going to see a bit of... Which is Slightly more worthwhile because that's much closer to mm. the present day, yeah. so it, mm. it has more impact when you when you do it properly. Yeah, yeah. and I here Sorry, it's fun. It's fun and mischievous, mm. and it fits in with to have um, Martha be the subject of Shakespeare's Dark Lady. Mm. Yeah, a sonnet. Yeah, and I guess I mean if if you feel upset about the way it's handled, then. You can also look at it and say, well, you know, the the character of the tenth Doctor isn't particularly attractive in this. You know, the, the, <laughs> there are there are a bunch of things that he does that are, yes. Well, that's the other thing. It's the general. Go on. No, I was just going to say. I mean, that's the general problem one often finds with sci-fi fandoms. It seems like everything is meant to be taken at a certain level. At least, at least there are a lot of people who take things at a certain face value. I guess. So characters tell the truth and cannot be, you know, yeah. unless it's explicitly signposted that they're lying. And yeah. as you say, you know, the the tenth Doctor is very definitely a flawed character. So not everything, yeah. not every attitude he takes is necessarily, you know, we we're free to disagree with him and see him as a yeah. fl- flawed character. We should we don't have to hero worship him and think well if he's saying there's not a problem then yeah that's not necessarily something we have to agree with. Yeah, so precisely. So I so I would say in this case it's Doctor Who the character saying this rather than Doctor Who the show saying this. Mm. So y- yes, you, if, if you if you if you think that's a that's a, a flawed opinion, then yeah, it's uh, it's it's just yeah. Doctor Who getting it wrong. Mm. Yeah, it's a larger issue really. The way, the fact that the Doctor is sometimes extremely sensitive to the specifics of any given era in human society, and other yes. times it is considered played for laughs is ridiculously gauche like mm. Matt Smith and appears on to know yes. the first thing about how humans behave mm. it just depends yeah. on what story you're telling that week yeah. so yeah. it's not really worth worrying about no but then in in reality does that make him any less or any more contradictory than me you know having you know, probably behaving in different ways on different days mm. if you were if you were a time traveller then I would give you less um, <laughs> latitude than I do <laughs> Yeah. Okay. The fact that you just move through life in the, in um, in chronological order, like the rest of us, I mean, I, I think gives you a pass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are we are we done? Do you think? Was there anything else you wanted to say? Have we wrung every last drop of goodness out of this pairing? Can I do my sonnet? Go on. <laughs> <laughs> 
last, fine. No, I once I I did a book a few years back called The Genius Tests, where we had to do these capsule summaries of loads and loads of different topics and mm-hmm. subtopics and so on. And for for Shakespeare in the in the great the two spreads we had to encompass all of literature. I had to write, you know, like 120 words on Shakespeare. I thought I'll do a sonnet, mm. and uh, and the bastards shit canned it. They said no, it's too it's too um too off kilter. We need it to be more straight. But uh, yeah. yeah, so from Stratford upon Avon, young Will Hales, playwright, actor, poet, and businessman. His mighty cannon pilfers others' tales, and rewrites history with greater land. Twelve tragedies attributed to him, all ending bloody death and unwound fate. Eleven histories are full of spin for patron monarchs good Queen Bess and Jake. Yet thirteen comedies I'd love the best, all twins' mistakes, romance and fairy spells. And with one last mysterious tempest, he quits the stage and yet in Stratford dwells. Once upstart crow, cried rival Robert Green, now held from globe round globe in high esteem. Iambic pentameter, Shakespeare's scheme, fifteen sixty four to sixteen sixteen. Like it, oh, delightful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should print that on the tea towel. You could make a fortune. <laughs> yeah. I should send it into Reader's Digest. <laughs> what I particularly yeah. like <laughs> is the fact that right it, it really you, the meter actually does work, mm. but you yeah. didn't <laughs> in any way attempt to make it easier for the listener to spot that by, talking, <laughs> by, by reciting against it all the way through. I, I, don't uh, know if I that should was... have left it to the pro. Oh. Excellent. Well, I, no, I mean that's obviously the way it was meant to be read. Mm. Very good. Okay, well, look, thanks, thanks, uh, Paul, thanks, Giles, for your time and company this evening. Thanks also to our listeners who've uh, who've made it through this far. (laughs) If you have enjoyed this episode, then uh, it would be great if you would rate our podcast and leave reviews in places like Apple Podcasts and Podchaser, because it makes a difference. If we get good ratings, then then more people will, will find us and listen to us. Um, and I guess that's a good thing. Um, so yeah, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your colleagues and your neighbours if you liked us. And if you didn't like it, then please don't tell us all. Yeah. If you'd like to contact us with your thoughts and ideas, you can you can do so via our Twitter account uh, at something underscore who, and uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, but for now, goodbye. Bye all. Bye. <laughs>
Here's a clip from my other podcast. Hello and welcome to a special episode of If It's Hurting, It's Not Working. So in this episode we're going to talk to you a little bit about what each of us are going through in our lives right now. We're going to explain why it might be a little while before you hear from us again, but we are planning to return. We're also going to discuss with you why when we do come back there will be a slight change of emphasis on the format of our podcast and what that might involve. Yeah, so I guess it's fair to say, Emily, that we've both gone through one or two kind of interesting things in the course of the last few months, but I guess more particularly you. So so maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so as our listeners will know, I've got a teenage son. So he's 17 now and he's got his army start date at the beginning of October. So that's a big change that's happened. I've changed roles within our organisation where I work. I've got a new role as an executive assistant for our chief simplification officer. So that's another change. I've got a gorgeous 14-week-old golden retriever puppy now, which is taking up a lot of time. So there's been quite a few changes that have been going on that have made life quite hectic. So we're just going to take a bit of a break from me instigating that. And Richard, you've also been quite busy as well, haven't you? Do you want to tell our listeners what you've been up to? Yeah, yeah, and not quite as, as significant changes in, in my life, but something interesting that happened, I guess, was that there I was going along minding my own business, really, when I was listening to a podcast. It was fortunately with Fee and Jane, and they were talking about the issue of, of sexism and, I guess, how it's a problem that affects women, but when women talk about it, men don't always listen, and it, and it is, of course, generally men that are causing the problem. So... I listened to that and I thought, well, I am a man. I could do something about that. And and I guess perhaps one of the reasons why it struck home is that, you know, it's something that I have been aware of anyway in the workplace. I mean, we've we've talked about it a little bit in, in previous episodes. We talked particularly with my friend Claire when, on that episode about what it's like to be a woman in the workplace. And so that, I, I guess, hit home. And, you know, indeed, Emily, you and I, in, in our dealings together, you know, it, it's been a thing that's that's been there in the background, too. I mean, I hasten to add, not between you and me, but but nonetheless, I, I've seen instances where you've been subject to it. And so, yeah, so basically, I thought, well, I can do something about that. And so I've made a statement at work, a sort of public statement to say, actually, this is something that I don't think is right, and we need to do something about it. And Surprisingly, surprising to me, a lot of people in the organisation actually have agreed with me. So I've been pretty busy at work trying to work that through and and, and to, to understand what the response should be. 